Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today I'm joined with Eric Ostrich. Hello. And Josh Adams. Hi. And today we're just going to have a little opportunity to talk uh, with each other. It's kind of fun when we just get on these podcasts before an episode starts. We find there's a lot of stuff to just kind of catch up on. It's like, oh, what are you up to? And like, and the different technologies we're playing with. And we thought this would be a fun time to just kind of sync up on some of, some of those things and uh, see kind of what we're doing and things that are interesting for us and what we've been up to. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So uh, where do you guys want to start? Well, two-thirds of us just came back from a conference. Uh, I don't know if that makes better starting or ending material, but let's go with starting material. So Eric and I went to the Big Elixir in New Orleans, which is awesome. This was its second year, and it's a great conference that I, that I was very much looking forward to this year after last year. It's a single-track, two-day conference, and you should come to it anyway. But there were lots of, lots of good talks, and we kind of outlined a few that we really liked. Um, Eric, you want to say anything, or you want to just dive in? Yeah, I, I also enjoy the Big Elixir. Uh, it was great being back. And okay, so really cool. Like Eric was a keynote speaker, so that was awesome. Congratulations! Thank you. It was a it was a fun upgrade, I guess, from a just talk. <laughs> but I, think I was I was a keynote speaker last year. So Mark, next year. <laughs> All right, I'll start preparing now. I have no idea what to talk about. <laughs> But I, I do think it's cool. Um, it sounds like the videos were recorded, but uh, they'll be up when when they're ready and available. So um, when that happens, if it's you know next week or something, we'll we'll uh, drop a link to that, or like as a pick or something like that. Uh, so you can look for those videos. It sounds like there was a lot of interesting talks. Maybe you guys can give us a little summary of some of the highlights or the talks that you really enjoyed. Yeah. So uh, my favorite talk, uh, but only because I'm a weirdo, maybe is uh, there's a talk by Scott Southworth called Medical Messaging an Elixir for Healthcare. And I found out afterwards that Scott actually works for the guy that got me into Erlang in the first place, Brian Hunter. So that was really just kind of fun for me. Uh, but it was just to talk about some stuff they're using Elixir for at, I forget the, I think it's HCA, but I forget giant medical company. And I know a little bit about what Brian's doing over there. So uh, seeing that this was actually related was, was nice. But one thing they have that's really nice is they have the uh, medical messaging codes parser, uh, so HL7 parser for, for Elixir. And if you've ever worked with HL7, it's kind of horrendous and awful. And Scott goes into a lot of detail about why. But the takeaway is, hey, there's a library. It does all the stuff uh, that you would want it to do with HL7. And that's, that's exciting because I've done a lot of medical stuff and I have never found a library that I thought looked really good, but I like the API that I saw. 
Yeah, it looked, uh, I think jQuery was uh, listed as an inspiration of like CSS type selectors to like dig into the, I don't know, weird bits of a message. <laughs> yeah, like if you wanted to go through some HL7 message and say, hey, I'd like to get the last name of all the doctors associated with this type of procedure, that's the sort of thing you could build a query for, um, which is just nice. And it's all, it's all pipey. And when you look at the API, you think, that I understand that. Yeah, and then we got to see, I guess, they're talking about, or there's a new standard called Fire, F-H-I-R. Uh, I guess that's, I don't know, the next gen, I guess. <laughs> and uh, we got to learn that they have a JSON that is not strictly JSON compatible. So you For have to, reasons. Yeah, they, they have valid reasons, I guess. Um, but it's still sort of weird. <laughs> to call it JSON when in fact yeah. there's a standard called that and this ain't it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the, the, another talk was, um, uh, let business write the business logic. Yeah. There we go. Thinking about, yeah. Yes. Um, so that was all about, uh, doing leaks and yak, but so like they, he was work, ben, this was Ben church. He was working at a veterinary software, uh, company that, they asked him, like, could we send these questionnaires out after this? What about this? How about that? This, that's this. And he was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, he realized how complicated that would be. So then he started heading down, like, a Boolean logic, like, SQL query sort of thing, parser, to actually determine, to, like, push the load onto the the vets or the business who's who's trying to write these things. Um, instead of on the developers. So that was really cool to see. I always like doing leaks and yak. It's some weird, I don't know, BNF is is like oddly satisfying <laughs> uh, to like make it as like short as you can and like have as little cycles and, and whatnot. And um, it's always cool to see uh, how, how that works out. It might be worth just kind of explaining a little bit of what leaks and yak is. We've had previous yeah. episodes where we've talked about that, but if, in case it's some, new to somebody, like just kind of an introduction. So leaks is the Erlang version of Lex, which is a I think a C uh, Lexer. So it takes like a source file and turns it into tokens, um, and then yak is the Erlang version of yak, which is a parser for those tokens. So that's how you can take a like flat file, like your Erlang or your Elixir file, uh, and then turn it into an abstract source tree or ASD. Um, so he Ben took the like string of a, of like the Boolean logic and then turned it into an AST that you could then evaluate uh, and kind of insert variables and and do like is the dog's age less than four? Like then this is a different thing that we care about, like type of stuff. So it's always cool to see. And I guess there's there's also a uh, a library that you can just use right now. I'll have to find it, but that just does Boolean logic. So you can easily insert this into your own projects like right now if you want. And for the parser nerds, Yek is an LALR1 parser. So yeah, look ahead, left recursive. Yeah, we're actually using uh, Leaks and Yek uh, for a project at work. The idea is for customized logic, instead of saying, oh, well, if this customer or this setting, you know, a lot of those kinds of things are, it can become an invasive in your project and, and you don't really want to do that. Like if this feature is turned on and this feature, but not this feature, you know, so some of it was just like, 
okay, we're just gonna send this off to this script. And the script is, you know, uh, expressed. So we have written our own kind of like mini scripting language, which is very limited on what it can do. Like you're not allowed to create loops so that you can't accidentally like go into recursive, you know, problems. Uh, but the idea is just, it lets you, you know, customize logic, Boolean logic performance. So you can choose what uh, functions you want to expose to the script so they can call existing functions and make decisions and say, oh, well, if like, like that whole idea with the dog, right? Like if the customer's uh, setting of this is that, you know, has this value and we could look at, and this application over here has this value set, then we're going to pre-put it into this other bucket, things like that. So I found it to be a fun, useful thing, even, you know, if I'm not trying to build like a full-fledged language. So I have done two things that are sort of parser related. One was an actual like in-browser re-implementation of a custom language uh, as what that went hand in hand with a solar-based re-implement as a search language. And so some folks wrote the solar side of it and I had to write an in-browser syntax highlighter slash parser. Um, and that was not fun, by the way, because performance constraints on uh, in our case, uh, both ways recursive because this language was horrible. Uh, parsers are slow. But then I, uh, I built one time a rules engine that was entirely just an AST and a thing that handled the AST and then a visual builder for the AST. And I gave a talk on like that was inspired by that uh, at some point at the Elixir Conf, like the second one. And um, that was, that's the way to go. I really enjoyed that because the business folks literally clicked around it was more expensive to build, but they had a little editor they could click around in and it interfaced with their API. So when they wanted to say like, if this procedure is in the thing, then this billing rule should be an option. Then they could just actually search for them nicely while they're building the rule. So that's super nice, but yes, it, it costs a lot more to build. But you don't have syntax errors ever. <laughs> yeah, I've done uh, two other times with uh, parsing. Uh, Xventure has a internal like templating language that I, I parse out uh, into an AST uh, for mostly coloring stuff, um, which is it's a little tricky because it's almost HTML. And I think that's pretty famous for being hard to parse. So bit off a, a pretty big thing with that. But uh, the second one was, um, I think it was a pick a few weeks ago, the UCL parser, which is the universal configuration language. So it, it's what HashiCorp uh, kind of pulled from, and it's also based on what Nginx looks like. So if you've done either of those, uh, you've seen pretty much what this is. Um, and that was, that was pretty fun. That was only like two afternoons of, to get like most of the way there, and then just kind of keep poking at it a little, a little more to kind of round it out. Um, so that's, yeah, that's super fun to do BNF when it's, uh, straightforward. <laughs> hey, also, I wanted to say there's a um, there's a parser library in Elm that is, in my experience, just the best thing ever. Uh, having played with a fair number of them, I really enjoyed my time building a parser in Elm. So, hat tip. And the library I was thinking about earlier was is sorry is Expresso. Uh, it, that's the the prebuilt Boolean logic uh, parser thing with variables. And that's in the show notes, the link to the GitHub. 
Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Uh, so I guess the, the next talk that I, I liked was um, Corey D o. Daniels' uh, Kubernetes talk. <laughs> Uh, he had a good joke in there. It was the I, best joke of the conference. <laughs> so, um, like, they had to explain the joke to me. So, if you don't like, so you, you you have to see, like, it is a slide of Wilford Brimley with the word Kubernetes written under it. So, if you're anyone but Mark, you've seen the diabetes commercial. <laughs> so, we have two YouTube uh, videos linked uh, that show the original style him talking on a, you know, like 1980s, 90s kind of commercial talking about diabetes, saying it diabetes, and, uh, and then a, a remix that just makes it, kind of takes it too far, but it's funny. And also relevant at my former consultancy, we had uh, Wilford Brimley's head on a stick that someone printed out that we carried with us for like four years to different offices. <laughs> so that, was, that joke was aimed directly at you then. <laughs> he nailed it. Um, but yeah, I guess onto the the top, the content of the talk. I we've do, we've been doing a lot of Kubernetes uh, at Smart Logic recently, dipping our toes into the very very deep end that is Kubernetes. But um, it was we've never played around with like the custom resource types and the operators that like make that work. Um, so it's cool to see uh, that work and like what you can do with that and like how simple it is, I guess. So he's, he's writing a, a, a library called Bonnie um, to help make that easier. So he showed writing a bunch of YAML to make a to-do app as a custom resource and then kind of some steps to <clears throat> change it so that like when a, an Elixir app that watches that resource type and when, it, when a to-do moves from like in progress to completed, we get a, like a hook into that. So it's cool to see, and then we got to to do, uh, he, or he showed a new resource type just called at, like an app, like the kind is an app, and you just tell it like what your image is, and you want a database of Postgres, maybe it's on RDS or whatever, and then like you just submit that single YAML file that's only like 20 to 30 lines long compared to the like hundreds that you might write otherwise, uh, and then the behind the scenes there's resource definition, sorry, uh, operators that watch for that app type, spin up the resources that you're requesting. Um, there's like some buckets, so like an S3 bucket for that app will, will get spun up and then it'll just pop up and be good, right? <laughs> Compared to all the other stuff you have to deal with. So that was really cool to see and like see the, I don't know, deeper side of Kubernetes that also simplifies it. <laughs> yes, I too have been playing with Kubernetes and uh I have a personal goal ever since I saw Bonnie like forever, like a year ago or something, saw it sort of getting started. I, uh, I wanted to use it to build an operator to do dumb stuff because I'd like to, I would like to pursue the dumbest fringes of what you can do with Kubernetes. So I know my, uh, know where I should probably stop. Cause I don't know yet. I don't know. The to do app might be the edge. I think that's just the beginning. <laughs> Oh, I want to talk about a talk that for sure uh, Mark can't talk about because he didn't see it and Eric can't talk about because he gave it. And that was his keynote, All Aboard the Staple Train, Going Beyond a Simple Web App with Elixir. 
And it's really good talk. We've talked before about X Venture, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But first off, the slides were killer. Uh, and I have, I have a nice Twitter thread with a lot of good ones. And then um, just generally, it's a, it's a really nice 45-minute deep dive into all the stuff that went into, not all the stuff, but a bunch of the stuff that went into uh, X Venture and, and the ecosystem around it, I suppose. And it's just, it's very good if you want to want to see a, a straight up stateful application uh, because those are nice and it's kind of one of Elixir's superpowers. I suppose Eric could go into a little bit of detail about, about it. Yeah, so I, uh, I guess the first half was kind of setting up like what is, what is a state flap compared to stateless and it's mostly just using OTP more, right? Uh, <laughs> and then I kind of showed off XVenture and Grapevine and then like specific interactions with it and then the second half was showing how uh, like the different calls and casts that might happen for the stuff that we looked at earlier and like how like a few of the slides I had a database column that was just like they were um, sequence charts or swim lanes or I don't know what the the full real title of it but it, it like had the bars for each thing with like messages going between them and then like database column was just empty and like nothing was touching that <laughs> Um, and that's kind of what I was just trying to like drive home. It's like your system is interacting inside the beam and it doesn't need to leave the beam for like specific interactions. So like if you can keep it inside the beam just as messages, those messages take like microseconds versus uh, milliseconds to like as soon as you leave network stuff, that's like instantly milliseconds. So you're like keeping it faster, like state's already there, it's already loaded. Um, <clears throat> so it's like, if you have the use case for this, then you can like use the beam and OTP and like fully leverage it and, and get a bunch of benefits. So yeah, that's a, that was the inspiration behind it, I guess. It was a good talk. Thank you. Well, I look forward to seeing that when the videos come up and maybe next, next year I'll just have to make it. Yes, you should, you should definitely come. So in the last one you guys had uh, mentioned ahead of time was uh, Live View from Sophie DiBenedetto. Yeah, so that was, um, I, I missed most of the talks at LiveViewConf uh, 2019, uh, otherwise known as ElixirConf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in, the, I was in the, the hallway conf for most of that. Um, so it's cool to see like a fully updated, this should be the most recent thing. Uh, there's no like, 11th hour updates. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was it. Let me just give a little background to that. Cause that was, that was tough. Like Sophie, uh, gave this awesome, you know, prepared this awesome presentation about, uh, live view and doing, uh, JavaScript integrations, I think, and, and all this stuff. And she gave it that, that at the, uh, Elixir conf 2019 and like, like three days before the conference is when like, uh, the JavaScript hooks, uh, in for live view came out which kind of like kind of blew away a lot of what she was doing but at the same time so she was still able to show like this is how you this is how it works this is how you do it and this just came out so you can use that right so I, that would be that'd be frustrating as a presenter to have that happen but then it sounds like she gave like a you know taking that from the beginning and as an understanding and like explaining and showing what you can do so can you guys elaborate a little more on what she was doing there yeah so it was uh uh, I think I think the at least what I got out of it was a a reminder that Live View is a process, right? So you can when the Live View starts up, you can subscribe to internal Phoenix channels. Um, so that's she had a chat app that was a Live View, and so when you started the the 
chat live view. It subscribed to an internal chat channel. And when you did a like handle message in, it published on that. And then all the other ones that were listening just had a handle, or I think it's a handle info at that point with a Phoenix broadcast struct. And then it just like updates the internal messages like a sign and then it re-renders, right? And so it's, it's just always cool just to like be reminded that it's a process. You can do mostly what a process can do. I think there's a little bit of special sauce going on with there. You can't do quite everything maybe, but anyways, that doesn't matter. So it was cool to see that. And then the big issue was the the previous, a bunch of hacks that she did was uh, as soon as the chat like needs to scroll, like it's it's getting new stuff added and then a new message comes in and it's like under the viewport. And so like normally JavaScript is just like, was it scroll set top equals scroll set height. And then it's just sitting at the bottom and any new message will get put in at the bottom. And the, the like hacks she had to do was crazy. It was like a side channel, side Phoenix channel that, that like hooked into that. Um, but now it's just a simple, when you connect to the live view socket, you give it a hooks module that just has like an update function on it that just gets called when this page, like anytime the page updates, it gets called. So then it just scoots it down. So it, it goes from a whole bunch of hacks to like, it was like, I don't know, six lines of JavaScript. So it's as simple as that should have been from the start. So that's, that's uh, always cool to see. One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com. There were a lot of other good talks, but that was our list. Of, that, that concludes our list of the things that came to mind while we were thinking about which ones we wanted to talk about. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing that. And there was one other topic that uh, Eric had mentioned at the top, like when we were uh, discussing some of this, and this, he calls it a Punchbrella project. And I thought that was funny. So like a little background. So we talk about different project structures for uh, creating systems or applications. And like there's the umbrella project. And there is a poncho project, which is kind of out of the nerves uh, camp. And, and it works better for deploying in nerves uh, in environments. So what is a ponchbrella then, Eric? Uh, it is a mix of both uh, for better or worse. I don't really know. Um, this is kind of what I settled on for Grapevine. Bit of backstory. Uh, we did one umbrella app at SmartLogic that was way too soon to do an umbrella app. And we just had a bunch of bad experiences with it because it was way too complex for how, like what it should be. Um, so it just felt wrong and not worth it. So now with Grapevine, it has reached a point where it is big enough that like I've needed to start hacking it to pieces to like kind of break stuff up, mostly in terms of different nodes that I want to deploy. So instead of doing a proper umbrella, I just made an apps folder. I went in, did mix new, copied all the other source that needed, like the Telnet node is got copied out into a Telnet app. Uh, I broke up the uh, anything like Ecto was pushed into a data app. Um, and I just pulled out this uh, WebSocket chat code, just got pulled into a separate app. And then the main application, instead of doing like, it'll refer to like grapevine socket 
instead of doing comma in umbrella true, it just does path uh, like dot slash apps socket. <laughs> and then any like the socket code needs to reference the data code. So it just does like grapevine data path dot dot slash. So go up a folder back down to it's like right next to it. So that's, that's kind of in the spirit of both. I don't know if it gains me anything, <laughs> but uh, it feels better. I don't know. So I was just browsing around on the GitHub uh, because, yay, Grapevine is open source so people can poke around and see what they're doing. And I'm just dropping a link into that apps folder that you're describing and just looking around for your mix EXS. Yeah, and, and the eventual hope is that I will reach a point where um, I want to delete kind of the apps folder in general. So you just hit a path, like when you hit the main master like root folder, you just see all of the different applications with the readme kind of explaining all of them. Um, so Grapevine itself will be a sub app, which is kind of what an umbrella app is anyways. But so then everything will just do like up one and back down to its neighbor app for whatever it needs to reference. Um, so that's, it's kind of a, I guess it's a, a poncho meets a mono repo <laughs> um, at that point. But now the point that I would like to make here is even if this is not a great idea to do this, the fact that you can do this is really cool. Because if you've ever worked in like a Rails project, and I know other, uh, other frameworks uh, have similar kinds of constraints where uh, they are very opinionated. And if you start to go against the grain of how they think it should be structured, then it, become, it punishes you. And it puts you back fighting. in line. Yes, it, and it makes it hard, right? So it's like, well, in my case, this really does make sense that I should put this over here. Right. And, and like we, because every app, every problem that we're solving is potentially very unique. And so I, I love that when we talk about Phoenix or umbrellas or anything like that, they're very lightweight, actually, in terms of how much code there is. And, and they are also very configurable so that you can say, well, I want this to be over in this other place. And this is the structure that makes sense for my problem that I'm solving. So I just think it's cool that you can do that. Yeah, and I guess one, one other thing to, you mentioned that Phoenix is, is extra configurable. One of the first things I like to do uh, as part of my initial commit for any new project uh, is after doing PHX new, I go in and normally it does like app name underscore web and I just replace everything and delete the app name part so it's just web. <laughs> uh, and my, my like autocomplete tab fingers thank myself later. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. And I think there's only like, there's like two spots you have to update. There's a namespace thing that uh, Phoenix kind of auto fills in for you. So you just tell it web. And there's like one other thing that I can't exactly remember, but it's super easy to rename the web folder, whatever, whatever you want. You, so if that's been a, a thing that's bugging you, it's fixable. I will say I've also worked on a project where someone took the ability to configure it however you want to an extreme that I thought was terrible. And, you know, it was just like they're putting guilty, really, it, like they're having the controller in the same uh, folder. So like they basically put all of the resources around a concept in the same folder. So you have the controller in the folder, a view that does like JSON conversion and like the model, like all in the same folder because it's like, oh, that, all, that made sense to them. If you don't have a separate mix app for every controller, you're doing it wrong, man. <laughs> it sounds like Django from hey. what little I know. <laughs> Yes, but you know you can do that. Uh, I don't think all of those are good ideas. One of the reasons I would say you might not want to go as so far as to do something very strange 
is because if you intend to bring more people into your project, they're going to have a really hard time getting started. Just like, where do I go to find things? And at some point they might find out where you live. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, we ended up covering a lot of ground there more than I actually expected. Uh, So that was really cool. I appreciate you guys sharing some of the stuff that you've been doing. And I love talking about like, you know, as, as we develop and as we're working and solving problems, we're encountering different things. It's just kind of fun to sync up and see, you know, what are you working on? What are you solving? And like Eric's talking like, Hey, I'd like, you know, we're kind of thinking about Kubernetes and Josh and I are like, yay, we love Kubernetes. So, you know, that's kind of where, you know, it's, it's that, uh, kind of the meeting of minds, the, you know, peers sharing information. And that is a, a great way to learn. I know I've learned a lot just from being exposed to ideas that you guys are sharing. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, maybe that we can wrap that up there and uh, go to picks. Eric, do you want to go first? Sure. So my pick will be, um, so I'm also on uh, the Smart Software Podcast. Uh, We're starting up season three, I think around about when this will launch. So also look out for that. But the actual pick is we, uh, as part of my keynote, I announced that we're rebranding to uh, Elixir Wizards. Um, so we're sinking into that we're an Elixir podcast uh, and sort of, I don't know, fitting more with the other podcasts out there so that you can easier know that it's an Elixir podcast. So Better SEO in the podcast applications. Yep. Yes. Search for Elixir and you can find it better. Yep. Cool. Josh, how about you? I'm just going to share Jenkins X. Uh, I have not truly played with Jenkins X, but what it is, is it is uh, a tool that provides pipeline automation, GitOps, and preview environments for your applications. And it's mildly opinionated, but the only time I went to play with it, uh, so what it does is it very much does not want you to have a monorepo. And the only monorepo project that I work on is the one where I decided this is what I'd give a go. So that didn't really work out. Anyway, so still, it's very interesting, and uh, I think we, sh- I think you should give it a look, uh, even if just to see what people are doing. All right, Mark, what do you have? All right, uh, mine is it's kind of like a PSA. Uh, so Elixir one nine three was just released uh, around the time this was recorded, and one of the things is just be aware of it's not a breaking change because like once you have your project started, this doesn't affect it, but it's how you get your initial Phoenix. Uh, archive downloaded and started for when you're doing, uh, like when you're doing a Phoenix new. So this would be, this might impact your workflow if you're creating new apps frequently. So just be aware they changed how this works, where instead of using a URL to say, pull down this archive, uh, because that, you know, is not necessarily the, the most secure thing. And that's why they're making this change. So just be aware of this change and you can check the, uh, the release notes that I've uh, linked in here. And uh, that's it for me then today. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us and just listening to us kind of share war stories and just uh, fun things that we're learning and doing. So if you want to follow us online, I am at BrainLid. Eric? I am at Eric Ostrich. And I am at Neuter, K-N-E-W-T-E-R. All right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.